Peace be upon you. So one of the uh, common criticisms in the Quran is the claim that these lessons it cites are only tales of the past and that they do not apply in today's world. This criticism was made at the time of the Quran 1400 years ago and is oftentimes still cited today. In Surah 16 verse 24 we read, when they are asked, what do you think of these revelations from your Lord? They say, and this is the disbelievers, tales from the past. And we see a similar statement written in Surah 6 verse 25. It reads, some of them listen to you, but we place veils on their hearts to prevent them from understanding and deafness in their ears. Thus, no matter what kind of proof they see, they cannot believe. Thus, when they come to argue with you, the disbelievers say, these are tales from the past. What these individuals fail to understand is that the Quran and the lessons it provides are timeless. That despite the facade of the day-to-day -day life changing throughout history, humans continue to make the same mistakes that were made in the previous generations. They forget God, they chase the vanities of this world, they fall into idol worship, and they continue getting duped by the devil which causes them to lose their last chance to be redeemed back into God's kingdom. And in this episode, I want to show a verse that can be cited and misunderstood to think that it no longer is applicable today. And that verse is Surah 6 verse 137. It reads, Thus were the idol worshippers duped by their idols to the extent of killing their own children. In fact, their idols inflict great pain upon them and confuse their religion for them. Had God willed they would not have done it, you shall disregard them and their fabrications. Some individuals may read this verse and ask, you know, who today is asking their followers to go and kill their children? Uh, this seems to be some sort of pagan ritual that is no longer applicable today. But such assumptions couldn't be further from the truth. And in order to understand this verse deeper, we need to understand what is it to be an idol worshiper. Typically, when most people think of idols, they think of statues or wooden objects, things that people have crafted themselves, and other individuals falling prostrate and worshiping and leaving food for these uh, uh, objects. But idol worship, according to the Quran, is when we accept any other source over that of what God tells us in the Quran. And a perfect example of this is in Surah 6 verse 121, where God is telling the believers that before we eat any food, that we have to mention God's name. It reads, Do not eat from that upon which the name of God has not been mentioned, for it is an abomination. The devils inspire their allies to argue with you. If you obey them, you will be idol worshippers. So God is clearly informing the readers of the Quran that they have to mention God's name before they eat any food. That if someone accepts other information, another source that is telling them to do the opposite thing, then that source becomes their idol and they become idol worshippers. So since God informs us in the Quran that we should not kill our children, then if we accept contrary information from another source that tells us we should, then that source becomes our idol because we're accepting information regarding our salvation from some other entity other than God and His Scripture. In Surah 6 verse 151, it's to say, Come, let me tell you what your Lord has really prohibited for you. You shall not set up idols besides Him. You shall honor your parents. You shall not kill your children from fear of poverty. 
We provide for you and for them. You shall not commit gross sins, obvious or hidden. You shall not kill. God has made life sacred except in the course of justice. These are his commandments to you that you may understand. So in this verse, God is clearly saying you shall not kill your children from fear of poverty. And it says you shall not kill for God has made life sacred. And we see this again in Surah 17 verse 31. It says you shall not kill your children due to fear of poverty. We provide for them as well as for you. Killing them is a gross offense. So the question is, which sources are telling individuals to kill their children? And interesting enough, there's a number of idols out there today that are telling the masses to do such an act. And I want to go through this list and evaluate how people are using these sources to contradict God telling us that we should not do such an act. The first idol that I want to discuss is that of science. A lot of people have replaced God with science. And while science can tell us a lot about how the material world works, it cannot tell us much about the morality and ethics, and let alone the purpose we are in this universe. This leads a lot of people to attempt to follow the science in aspects of morality and negate the eternal wisdom that God has bestowed upon us when it comes to moral decisions. The fact is that science cannot determine what is the value of a life, let alone the fact that life is sacred. Sadly, many scientists have used and continue to use the guise of scientism to argue the opposite. This has came through arguments of eugenics, euthanasia, as well as abortion. And when scientists do not value life properly, the unfortunate consequence is that they advocate for decisions that lead to the destruction of innocent life. In 2019, an Irish couple decided to abort their baby after a positive genetic test for a condition known as Edwards syndrome, a serious condition that causes life-threatening organ defects, an abnormally shaped head, and if the child survives, developmental delays. It is usually fatal within the first year of a child's life, often within the first several days after birth. The couple was told by medical professionals at the National Maternity Hospital that there was no hope for their baby. They were strongly encouraged to abort their child. Based on this information, the couple decided to terminate their baby's life, only to find out afterwards that it was healthy and did not have this rare condition they feared. So what went wrong? According to the Irish Times, the test is promoted as being 99% accurate and in 0.15% of cases, or put another way, one out of 666 cases, a false positive can occur. Edwards syndrome occurs in around one in 5,000 live births. This means that statistically, the probability of a baby with this condition is about 0.02% which is 7.5 times less likely than the probability of getting a false positive. And when you do the math, what you find out is that statistically, a single positive test for Edwards syndrome can still have a 1 in 4 chance, 25% chance, that the individual who received the positive test for her child actually is carrying a healthy baby. 
And this is not limited to Edwards syndrome, but to other genetic tests as well. In one study, it estimated that 54.5% of women who had a positive result for uh, genetic testing for Down syndrome would have delivered babies who did not have Down syndrome if they didn't abort. And 60% who were, got a positive test result for Edwards syndrome, if they chose to deliver the baby as opposed to aborting, would have had healthy babies without Ed, uh, Edwards syndrome. Companies who create these tests and the medical staff that administer these tests put all the emphasis on the efficacy of the tests in identifying the major abnormalities for parents undergoing the screening, rather than the possibility of aborting a perfectly healthy baby, which in their eyes is inconsequential. This was not a fact that the scientists did not understand the math but just a sign of how little they valued human life. Because if you view a baby in a womb as no more valuable than just a lump of cells, then the possibility of erroneously destroying a lump of cells seems less grievous than if you viewed that lump of cells as a human being. And this is the consequence of not following God's system, is that we devalue human life that we think that in essence this decision is inconsequential. Hey, if they're wrong and it was actually a healthy baby, no big deal. It wasn't a human being. We, we suffer no loss. At least the parents can try again. And this time, if the genetic test gives them the results that they seek, then they can proceed. And this is just one example of how 6137 is so applicable today as it was 1400 years ago, as it will be in the future going to read the verse one more time. Thus were the idol worshippers duped by their idols to the extent of killing their own children. In fact, their idols inflict great pain upon them and confuse their religion for them. Had God willed they would not have done it, you shall disregard them and their fabrications. So now let's look at the next idol that is advocating individuals to kill their children. These days, environmentalism has replaced religion for many people. People who abide by this religion preach that humans are a cancer on this planet. And if we do not take immediate action and convert to their religion, then the world is going to end in a matter of years. One of the actions that these individuals preach is that humans should stop reproducing. And one solution to this problem is through advocating for more abortions. In 2019, CNN held a climate change town hall with Senator Bernie Sanders. During the discussion, a teacher asked Sanders if he would support making population control part of his climate change agenda. In no uncertain terms, what she's insinuating is the act of committing more and more abortions in order to curb the population from expanding because she believed that such actions would destroy this planet. Human population growth has more than doubled in the past 50 years. The planet cannot sustain this growth. I realize this is a poisonous topic for politicians, but it's crucial to face. Empowering women and educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe? Well, Martha, the answer is yes. <laughs> And the answer has everything to do with the fact 
that women in the United States of America, by the way, have a right to control their own bodies and make reproductive decisions. In the Quran, God informs us that disasters have spread throughout the land and sea because of what we committed. It reads this in Surah 30, verse 41. It reads, Disasters have th spread throughout the land and sea because of what the people have committed. He thus lets them taste the consequences of some of their works that they may return to more righteous works. So, is there environmental impact caused by human beings? Absolutely. But is the solution to that killing our children? Absolutely not. This, in my opinion, is the epitome of selfishness and hypocrisy. Why is it that every tyrant solution to a problem they cause is to kill other people who are innocent for their mess? If the humans who are living cause these problems, then how is it justified to kill the humans who have yet to experience this amazing life on this planet? God in the Quran condemns suicide. But if someone genuinely believed that human beings are a cancer on this planet and need to be eradicated, then they should be the first to nominate themselves for the well-being of the planet. But it's interesting that these tyrants their solution is to eradicate and kill other individuals because they, they believe that if you're not part of their religion, then you're part of the problem. The reality is that God designed this planet and made it so that it can sustain every single human who will ever live on this planet until the day of resurrection. If we destroy this precious gift that God has given us, then it's to our own detriment. But if we live responsibly, and abide by God's laws, then we never have to worry that there's not enough resources for every single human to live sustainable, fruitful, and amazing lives. In Surah 25, verse 48 through 50, we read, He is the one who sends the winds with good omens of His mercy, and He sends down from the sky pure water. With it, we revive dead lands and provide drink for our creations, multitudes of animals and humans. We have distributed among them in exact measure that they may take heed, but most people insist upon disbelieving. In Surah 29 verse 60, it says, Many a creature that does not carry its provision, God provides for it, as well as for you. He is the hearer, the omniscient. God can provide, without a doubt, for every single human being, irrespective of the circumstances, irrespective of the environmental disaster. God possesses infinite amounts of provisions and sends it down in exact measure to whoever he chooses. An example of this is the example of Mary. When Mary was just a child, Zachariah would see her with provisions and would ask her, where did you get this from? And Mary's response is that it's from God. God provides for whomever he chooses without limits. So these individuals who are advocating to killing our children to preserve the resources of this planet are missing the bigger picture. One is that this is a heinous act. Two, that God is the provider for all his creatures, that God alone is the provider and sustainer for every entity on this planet. Another idol that individuals cite in justification or advocation for killing their children is that of the economy. The effect of legalized abortion on crime 
also known as Donahue-Lovett hypothesis, is a controversial hypothesis about the reduction in crime in decades following the legalization of abortion in the United States. Proponents argue that the availability of abortion resulted in fewer births of children at the highest risk of committing crime. In 2001, Stephen Levitt of the University of Chicago and John Donahue of Yale University made the case that children who were unwanted or whose parents cannot support them are likelier to become criminals. This idea was further popularized in the book Freakonomics, which Levitt co-authored. Now, I've been listening to uh, Stephen Levitt uh, in his books, in his podcasts, in interviews for years now, and I don't believe that he's advocating for abortion, but just showing the outcome of abortion on crime. But individuals have taken their findings to justify such a stance. So let's evaluate such an argument not based on crime data, but based on morality. If a society advocates the killing of people because they fear they will commit crime in the future, is that ever justified? God informs us that the only time we are allowed to kill is in the course of justice. So preemptively killing someone to prevent crime is never justified. This can be related to the previous episode we did regarding capital punishment and the question of how many innocent people are allowed to die in order to bring a guilty party to justice. And as a recap, the answer is zero. We are not allowed to kill an innocent life if that means it's going to cause a reduction in crime. Secondly, what happens to a society that believes there's no consequences to their killing of their own children? While crime data can more readily be measured, how do we quantify the moral decay of a society? The vast majority of abortions occur outside of wedlock. When individuals think that they can avoid the materialistic downside of the responsibility of bringing a child into this world because of the easy access to abortion without societal consequences, how likely are they to have extramarital relations? Now, surprise, surprise, ever since abortion has become more predominant as a scapegoat from having a child, the number of sexual partners individuals carries out is more. Now, one of the greatest indicators to how successful a marriage is going to be is the number of sexual partners a person had before getting married. Based on a study, what they found was women with 10 or more partners were the most likely to divorce. Women with 3 to 9 partners were less likely to divorce than women with 2 partners. And women with 0 to 1 partners were the least likely to divorce with individuals who maintained their chastity prior to marriage with the highest probability of not falling into divorce. So while it can be argued that abortions cause a reduction in societal crime despite being an immoral act, it can also be argued that abortion causes individuals to have more sexual partners which cause an increase in divorce rates leading to more single-family homes. A child growing up in a single-family home is one of the strongest indicators for criminal behavior. In 1987, the survey of youth in custody found that 70% of juveniles did not grow up with both parents. And in 1994, a Wisconsin juveniles uh, study was even more stark, showing that 87% of juveniles in their custody were from single-family homes. 
This alteration to God's system has consequences. And when people think that they found a loophole, it is only leading to backfire against themselves. When individuals think that by killing a future generation, it's going to preserve them from crime and consequences, they're only fooling themselves. God has a system and God's system never changes. When we deviate from God's system and try to find loopholes in this that go against God's laws, we're only hurting ourselves. In Surah 35 verse 43 it reads, They resorted to arrogance on earth and evil scheming. The evil schemes only backfire on those who schemed them. Should they then expect anything but the fate of those who did the same things in the past, you will find that God's system is never changeable. You will find that God's system is immutable. We can never think that we found a loophole around God's system. And if we do such an act, we're only hurting ourselves. Such decisions is only going to backfire against ourselves. So this takes us to the last idol that I'm going to cover that advocate for the killing of our children. The main idol that most people have to overcome is the ego as a god. In Surah 45 verse 23 we read, Have you noted the one whose god is his ego? Consequently, God sends him astray despite his knowledge, seals his hearing and his mind, and places a veil on his eyes. Who then can guide him after such a decision by God? Would you not take heed? This ego that's described in Surah 45 verse 23, throughout the Quran, typically the word ego, you'll see it as nafs, the same word as soul or self. But this one is actually the word hawa. Hawa means desires. Those individuals who hear God giving them one commandment, but choose to go with their own desires, their own satisfaction, are only doing so to their own detriment. And by doing so, they're setting their own desires, their own opinions as a God beside God. In 2020, the actress Michelle Williams was awarded the Golden Globes for the Best Actress in a Limited Series. During her speech, as she held this golden idol that she worked so hard to earn, she used her time on stage to promote a cause that she attributed to her success. This cause was her right to kill her child in order that she could pursue her goal of winning this award. She was willing to kill her own child in order to achieve a golden statue, a representation of her idol. I'm grateful for the acknowledgement of the choices I've made and I'm also grateful to have lived at a moment in our society where choice exists because as women and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making, not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over, sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand, and I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. Bringing a child into this world and caring for that child is one of the most selfless things a person can do. It is because as long as that child is under that parent's custody, then the priorities of that child become the primary responsibility of the parents and their own priorities as parent become secondary. That is because that child had no say to come into this world. But when someone engages in the responsibility of having sex, 
They're doing so with full knowledge of the possible outcome. But what Michelle Williams was celebrating was her extreme selfishness, that she was not willing to accept the responsibility of her actions, but instead willing to kill an innocent life in order to avoid the outcomes of her decision. This is because the ego is an advocate of vice and selfishness. Take the example of the governor's wife who falsely accused Joseph in order to send him to jail because he would not have sexual relations with her. When she carried out such an accusation, she was not thinking about Joseph's outcome or Joseph's well-being, but only about herself and this became fully apparent when she was questioned about the incident after Joseph was consulted regarding interpreting the king's dream. In Surah 12 verse 53 we read, I do not claim innocence for myself. The self is an advocate of vice, except for those who have attained mercy from my Lord. My Lord is forgiver, most merciful. In her speech, Michelle Williams was arguing that putting herself in her desires first was the reason that she was able to achieve her golden globe. And she was thankful for the opportunity to live in a country where she could kill her own child. Now, in certain regards, she should be thankful for that, but not for the reasons she thinks. Force is a tactic that is used throughout the Quran by the disbelievers. God in the Quran advocates the freedom to choose to believe or disbelieve. This allows each soul to have their true colors exposed in this world for their actual intentions. In a society where people could not have an abortion, let alone having millions of people applauding them for killing their child, we would not know what their true convictions are. The purpose of this world is to expose our true convictions so that on the day of judgment there is no debate to how anyone chose to go astray and celebrated such decisions. In Surah 6 verse 44 it reads, When they thus disregard the message given to them, we open for them the gates of everything. Then just as they rejoice in what was given to them, we punish them suddenly, they become utterly stunned. In Surah 46 verse 20 it says, The day will come when those who disbelieve will be introduced to the hellfire. You have wasted the good chances given to you during your worldly life, and you rejoiced in them. Consequently, today you incur a shameful retribution as a requital for the arrogance you committed on earth without any basis and for your evil works. If we reassess these idols that are tricking individuals to kill their own children, there's a common theme that ties all these motivations together. And that theme is fear. Fear of a child being born with an ailment, fear of overpopulation, fear of crime, fear of missing out on our goals and achievements. All this fear stems from the devil. In Surah 3 verse 175 it reads, it is the devil's system to instill fear into his subjects. Do not fear them and fear me instead, if you are believers. If we fear, the consequences of this worldly life as opposed to the consequences of not abiding by God's system, then our fear is misaligned. God does not tell us these things to punish us. God does not inform us of these commandments in order to only cause us to go astray. He does this for our own good. No different than when you go to a doctor and the doctor says, look, if you continue eating junk food and not exercising and living an unhealthy life, you're going to have these consequences. God is doing the same thing for us. He's telling us, if you want to be successful in this world and in the hereafter, lead a righteous life, abide by these commandments, not for God's good, for your own good. But this idea of fear, 
in pushing people into committing abortion, God addresses this in the Quran, in the two verses that discuss abortion. In Surah 6, verse 151, we read that it says, You shall not kill your children from fear of poverty. We provide for you and for them. And what's interesting is there's a subtle difference between this and Surah 17, verse 31. In Surah 17, verse 31, it reads, You shall not kill your children uh, due to fear of poverty. We provide for them as well as for you. So in 6.151, God is telling us not to fear because He provides for the children and the parents, while in 17.31, God is telling us not to fear because He provides for us, the parents, and for the children. So what is the, the meaning behind this subtle difference? When we look at the Arabic, what we realize is that the word fear does not occur in Surah 6, verse 151. This means someone is already suffering from poverty. And they're concerned that since they're suffering for, from poverty, how are they possibly going to be able to provide for a child? God informs these individuals that not to fear because God provides for the parents who are already suffering and for the child. But in 1731, the Arabic word for fear is in the verse. This is informing us that in this condition, the parents are currently not in poverty, but are concerned that if they have this child, it's going to lead them to fall into poverty. And in this scenario, God says, don't worry, don't fear. We provide for the children as well as for you. Now you think of these conditions that we went through. In some conditions, the fear was of something that is already happening, environmental uh, damage, criminal behavior. And God is saying, don't worry. God is the one who takes care of the children and for you. In other conditions, the fear was what would happen once you have the child. What if it has an ailment? How am I going to care for it? What about my own personal goals? If I have this child, am I still going to be able to be successful in life? And in that condition, God is saying, don't worry. We provide for your children and for you. So if we are fearful because of an event that is already at play, even before a child is born, or concerned that a child will cause us to fall into such hardship, then God is assuring us all that it is not us who take care of these children or even ourselves, but God alone is the one who provides for both. Surah 30 verse 40 reads, God is the one who created you. He is the one who provides for you. He is the one who puts you to death. He is the one who resurrects you. Can any of your idols do any of these things? Be he glorified. He is much too exalted to have any partners. Surah 27 verse 64 reads, Who is the one who initiates the creation then repeats it? Who is the one who provides for you from the heavens and the earth? Is it another God with God? Say, show me your proof if you are truthful. Surah 10 verse 31 reads, Say, who provides for you from the heaven and the earth? Who controls all the hearing and the eyesight? Who produces the living from the dead and the dead from the living? Who is in control of all things? They would say God. Say, why then do you not observe these commandments? God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS app store. And uh, if you like the podcast, please leave us a review and let other people know. And until next time, peace and God bless.